Coming up on this episode 13 of Off Air with Joe and Oral. Dave Roberts joins us, not from his house, but from his office at Dodger Stadium. And he talks to us about the 60-game season and maybe how strategies might change because of that. And it takes us through what the first day back has been like. And our guest this week, the legendary Spanish-language voice of the Dodgers, Jaime Harin, who's entering his 62nd season. He's got an incredible story. He's obviously seen everything over those 62 years and an incredible story leading up to the 62-year run. Today's podcast is brought to you by San Manuel Casino, AMPM, UCLA Health and Security Benefit. San Manuel Casino is now open and wants to thank you for waiting and doing your part to stay safe. Now they're ready to do theirs. You'll notice increased health and safety measures in place for all the casino's valued guests and team members, including extra care with cleanliness, team t- training team members on current safety measures, rearranging the fun and thrills on site that will give you more space to play safely. Through the new San Manuel Mobile Meals program, guests can take their favorite foods for takeout using their mobile device. And our new guest safety concierge team is working along the clock to take care of you. Things might seem a little bit different, might look a little bit different. San Manuel Casino, though, is still dedicated to warm greetings and friendly service remains. For more information on what to expect during your visit, go to www.sanmanuel.com slash safety. As a proud partner of the Dodgers, AMPM wants to remind you that your one-stop shop for all your baseball cravings is there. Whether you're wanting a delicious Dodger dog or a rib sandwich, or maybe you just want to sneak in for a fountain drink and a warm cookie, AMPM's got all your snacking bases covered. So you can pick up some nachos, listen to me and Joe talk to your favorite players, and then it's almost like baseball is back. AMPM, too much good stuff. You had me a warm cookie. UCLA Health, official medical partner of the Dodgers, wants you to remember that you've got to continue to do your part to play for Team LA. That means wearing a face covering when out in public, but it also means that every Angelino has to keep up with their regular medical care. So do your part for your own health, for your family's health, for your community's health. Go ahead and book a doctor's appointment or schedule a video visit. We need you on this team. The people of Los Angeles have shown that we're resilient as individuals, but we're unstoppable when we work together. From frontline healthcare workers, grocery store clerks, delivery drivers, folks working from home, everybody keeping their physical distance and regularly washing their hands, we all play for Team LA. Visit UCLAHealth.org to learn more about how you can do your part. Every winning season is built on a strong team, a team committed to executing a solid game plan. At Security Benefit, we want to help you and your advisor build your retirement game plan to help you stay committed during these uncertain times so that when it's time to execute, you know that you've got a solid team behind you. When it comes to retirement, losing is not an option. Talk to your financial advisor to see how you can plan for retirement. Security Benefit is a proud sponsor of the Los Angeles Dodgers. All right, we're ready for episode 13. Hit it, Frankie.
I can tell you right now, the best thing that I've seen is Dave Roberts in his office at Dodger Stadium. And instead of uh, us opening this up how we normally do, Dave, it is Wednesday right now as we're recording this, July 1st, which is day one back at stadiums. What is the best thing you've seen today since you've gotten back to the ballpark? So the best thing I've seen today is a revamped, renovated Dodger Stadium with Dodger baseball players taking part in baseball activities on a baseball diamond. I've heard Julio Urias has a new hairstyle. So I haven't seen Julio yet. Is that right? So, uh, you know, with some of these guys with Jock going blonde and I've seen Jock and it's bad now. It's like quarantine, no haircut. It doesn't know what it wants to be. So I'm really curious to see what Julio's come up with. Alana Rizzo said Julio has lost a lot of weight, looks great, but his hair is yellow. Oh my goodness. <laughs> that, that's a blonde gone bad. So yeah, I, I'm sure there's going to be more of that to come, but, but to be able to put eyes on these guys. Um, it's going to be fun, but I'll tell you, this stadium looks amazing. You know, just the ability to walk all the way around the new hitter's eye. And I was here earlier when we were uh, doing a preview of kind of, uh, what do they call it? Bringing in the sound. Yeah, pumping in the crowd noise. Yeah, pumping mm-hmm. in the crowd noise. So it's actually really good. So we're trying to put a, uh, you know, finalize that. Yeah, well, tell us more about that. I heard that there was going to be some tests going on. So they're going to pump the crowd noise over the stadium loudspeakers. And then is there a way to for that to go up on big plays or come down? Or how does it all work? Yeah, it is going to be pumped through that center field speaker. And, um, you know, it, as as a player, it's great because you're feeling that's the main speaker that you feel and hear. And I guess that with the broadcast, it's going to be filtered through the broadcast as well. So give the, the, the viewers, you know, the best experience they possibly can. So uh, honestly, it's in its infancy. So we'll see how it goes. When you're turning around, listen to that sound. Is there like a movie producer the Dodgers hired? <laughs> I, I think so. But it's like, the, I don't know. It's the in-game person that does it normally. But, you know, how aggressive do you want to be? You know, is it a, is it a leadoff single, a, a double, a, a grand slam? So they got it. There's different levels, man. This is this is this is the Dodgers, right? Is it the more tame Sunday afternoon crowd? Is it the Friday night party crowd? What do we got going? You know, how how That's lubed right. up are we? It's about the details, man. Yeah. Um, how about the emotions of the day? Kind of first day of school, coupled with everything else that we've gone through to get to this point. Well, I, I think that um, it's, it's funny. It's not the first day of, uh, you know, our spring training 2.0, but I had to kind of figure out what outfit I was going to wear. It's like my first day of school again. It's kind of <laughs> funny. But uh, no, but it, it's just different in the sense of we're parking now in the left field pavilion and um, there's protocol testing, you know, when we, when we walk into the ballpark and everyone's kind of going through that. There's really, there's nobody in the clubhouse. Um, the food room now is kind of off limits. So we're staggering guys, you know, kind of 10 at a time. So there's just different things that we got to kind of get used to. But, you know, talking to hitting guys, the pitching guys, that more kind of finite focus work has been better. Um, and we're going to do that for the first kind of few days of spring training and see how that goes. They got to have the coffee machine working though, right? Yeah. You know, I'm already two <laughs> cups deep. So <laughs> I, um, you would be. <laughs> I haven't seen the pour over here that the coach has kind of put together, but you know, I've graduated from the Keurig, so now I'm like a coffee snob. What do we call on this? Are we calling it spring training 2.0? Is it summer training? Hey, I'm in for whatever you guys want. If you okay. guys just want to call it spring training, I'm in. If you want to call it 2.0, uh, whatever whatever you guys want, I'm in on. What do you got, O? You know, I've, I was thinking about 
when you came in, what kind of testing was it? Take the temperature? Was it the full-blown test that you'll get results back? Or have you already been through that? I'm more about what do you got for spring training name, but let's dive into the testing. Oh, sorry. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Well, to spring, answer your question. I think or, summer camp is too light for everything okay. we've been through. I don't like summer camp. Yeah, it's not summer camp when it's uh, three weeks every single day. Um, but a couple days ago, a few days ago, I came to the stadium and I got the, uh, the prick, which let me know if I had the antibodies and mm-hmm. I came up negative that I found that out 10, 15 minutes later. And then I took the COVID saliva test, which everyone has to do. And then two days later, I found out that I was negative. So then once you have that, then you're able to come to the ballpark to then get the temperature. So I was 97.4 and you get that tested twice and then you can enter. Do we know what the threshold is for like, Hopefully we don't get to this point, but for shutting the whole thing down, is it like a number of positive tests? Is it what? What's the discussion like when it comes to that? I, I don't know. Um, you know, obviously the, the commissioner has kind of the the opportunity to, to ultimately unilaterally shut it down if, if he chooses. Um, and I really don't know, Joe. But I know that for us, you know, you, you have starting pitching. Uh, but if something happens to that particular starter that day, you have to have a backup for that guy. Mm-hmm. You know, so we have that other spring training site to have guys ready for that because you can't use somebody that's active because then it, it just snowballs into the next day and the next day. And as far as starters, they're not ready to pitch in that particular day. So there's things that we have to guard against. Um, but to your question, I really don't know, um, you know what's going to call for it if and when if it does shut down. So you walked into the stadium, you got your test, you got cleared, you did the sound check, you walked around the stadium and saw all the new additions out there in the outfield. Who were some of the first players you ran into? First players I ran into uh, was Jock. um, And uh, Jock was the first person I ran into. And now guys are just kind of out there, so I wanted to spend time with you. So after after we do this, I'm going to get to kind of see those guys. But they're out there right now. Seeger, CT, JT, they're all out there. Will you have, when will like the first address, team address be? You know what? I'm actually trying to think about that because on Friday, we're not going to have everybody, 60 guys show up at one time. Um, so I think it's going to be, you know, we've, we've already done the big address for, for the initial spring training. So I think it's going to be the, you know, 2020 and call it 16 guys that, that me and the coaches I will address it and, and really let guys know how important this is and how they have to be responsible. Um, and it'll give us the best chance to stay healthy and win baseball games. How are you going to break your day up? Are the infielders going to work with the infielders, the outfielders, outfielders, the bullpen guys, the pitchers, because you know you can't have everybody on the field or in the weight room or wherever at, all at once. Early, it's going to be pitchers that aren't throwing that particular day are going to work early, and early could be 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock. And then you're going to start getting players, position players and pitchers that are going to be active that day. And I say active because we're going to be uh, doing some inner squads, some live pitching and hitting, um, and we want that closer to game time. So now as hitters and and people that have played the game understand that uh, dusk is is a tough time twilight. So to kind of get that... kind of mirror that gives us the best chance to prepare. So our day where normally spring training starts at nine o'clock, we're going to push it back to call it two, three o'clock, something like that. 
uh, when it comes to the games. You know, we, we promised last week we would talk a little bit about the strategy that goes into a 60-game season. I know you've had a lot of time to think about it with not much going on until now. When you think about a 60-game season and a game within a 60-game season, how differently do you have to manage from a game within a 162-game season? Um, certainly, uh, there's more of a sense of urgency, um, and you don't want to put that you know, pressure on an individual player or the team, but you know, guys not you know, playing well for the first month, normally you still give that first guy April, you know, give that guy April to kind of figure things out, but that's now would be half the season. So um, I think our guys are aware of that, but I think for me, um, managing early, it's going to be easy, easier because of the DH, obviously, and we have a 30-man roster. And then it's going to be curtailed to 28, then I think ultimately 26 after a month of play. Um, but right now, Joe, you know, Clayton's going to throw four innings today, and he's raring to go. But for example, David hasn't thrown a live in, in quite some time. So he's on a different trek than, let's say, Clayton or Stripling or Wood. Um, so how these guys come out of camp will help me also kind of figure out how I can use those, the starters and the guys in the pen. Is it a little bit refreshing or is there a feeling when you get into your meetings of uh, no innings limits on some of these young guys? You're not going to bump into, uh, you know, Julio Arias can only go 100 innings. You're going to take the reins off him. Uh, Gonsal in May, these kind of guys can probably make it through two months of a season and a playoffs and not really worry about overworking them. Absolutely. And I'll tell you, you know, when you're talking about the regular 25 that we've known man roster now, you know, Dustin May, Tony Gonsolin certainly come into play. Um, Dennis Santana, maybe. And a Dennis Santana with guys that can log innings that they're, they're ready to on the cusp, cusp of being big leaguers. So now with the expanded roster, you know, they have a much better chance to, to break with us. And these are guys that can go multiple innings. And like you said, Oral, they, they don't have that innings uh, limit. So it's kind of the, the whole mindset of go as hard as you can for as long as you can, and, and we'll get somebody behind you. I guess kind of along those same lines, how do you balance the thought of the fact that a, a quick buildup is maybe going to put you at more injury risk with the urgency of a 60-game season where a seven-game losing streak is the equivalent of a 19-game losing streak in a normal season. How do you balance those competing things? Well, I think the easier one to build up would be the position players, and that's just getting them out there, getting them on their feet. We're going to go three innings and four innings and five innings, and uh, we've got three exhibition games on the back end of spring training 2.0, so that'll be good. Um, on the pitching side, the relievers, again, a little bit easier because the ask of, of Workload is less. Now you're talking about starters. So I don't think that there's going to be one, you know, threshold of six innings, 90 pitches. And the buildup is the buildup for whatever particular individual. And we'll work around that um, because we have guys on the back end with an expanded roster too. So, like I said, Clayton, Woody, Strip built up, you know, Julio, Walker, David, not as built up as those three. Is there going to be a new strategy for the bullpen with the three batter minimum? Like a guy goes two days in a row and all of a sudden he almost has to get shut down the third day, not because he doesn't feel well, but you probably don't want to have that guy go three batters. Yeah, absolutely. Because sometimes, all you know, you see the way that we use the pen and, and three days in a row, that's kind of a, 
That's a load. That's a, that's yeah. a load, regardless of if you're facing a hitter or not, because even the ramp up in the pen when you're getting hot and you're down to then called into the game, um, that takes a toll on you. So three days, and usually you mix in just a one-hitter situation. So now to think that you got to take on three hitters at the minimum, yeah, after two days, the back-to-back, you'll probably be shut down, certainly. Another rule change that leads to some uh, strategy talk is the runner at second to begin extra innings. Have you thought about how you play that? I know a lot of it depends on are you the home team or the road team. Yeah, that that certainly matters. Um, and, and who made the last out? And, and you're going to have the DH, so you're going to have a longer bench. And that person who made the last out is the base runner. So nothing against Justin, but if he makes the last out, you know, and you you figure he's eight spots away to, to use somebody that might not be in there that can run better to score on a base hit or something like that might make sense. But you never want to get, you know, take a Justin Turner out of a game. But in that sense, uh, in a tie ball game, something like that would make sense. But obviously, yeah, home road, you manage it a little bit different too. You mentioned the DH thing. The Dodgers should benefit from the inclusion of the DH as much as anybody, right? I, I, I do. I, I think so. And I think we talked about it last week where we have a lot of two-way players that can do it, you know, with the, with the glove, with the bat. But now to use the DH for, uh, you know, added off days or get guys off their feet for nine innings it is a bonus. So whether it's Jock, you know, there's Kike, there's Justin, you know, Corey, you know, Cody, certain times Mookie, um, all these guys. And probably most guys don't really particularly care for the DH day. I think JT is more fine with it than anyone, um, but we wanted to play defense too. So I want to kind of spread it around a little bit. I want to take you back to the extra innings. You said something with the rosters being expanded early and then being pared down as we get into the few weeks. Would you carry maybe a runner, a pinch runner, a speedster that could steal third, and now you got a man on third and no out? We're, we're, we're thinking about that. Um, you know, guys on our team that can run, you know, Gavin Lux, Chris Taylor. But as far as I know, we had him in camp, Terrence Gore. Uh, he was in our camp, but he's not on the 60 right now. But if something were to happen, I think that that would be an easy kind of get if, if, if need be. But right now, we're really not, we really don't have that dedicated pinch runner off the bench. How about the mental challenges of the short season? Uh, you know, everything that everybody's dealing with aside, the mental challenges of, like you mentioned, you get into a little slump. Normally, it's like, okay, it's part of the game. But you spend a couple weeks slumping now, that's a significant chunk of your season. Yeah, it is. Um, there's a lot of variables that I think guys are going to have to wrap their head around this year. Um, the way we travel, um, the short, shorter season, the protocols, you know, and if they do, like you said, get off to a slow start, the, the, the stress, the, the pressure, the anxiety of trying to perform because you don't have the time to catch up. Um, so that's something that fortunately we have a lot of good players. And it does come down to winning baseball games. But, you know, even with that said, you want to get off to a good start. And you don't want to start out, you know, two and seven and play catch up the rest of the way. Any strategy to just general soreness as we go through this short camp and getting into the season of of kind of warning guys and, you know, not pushing yourself? But they're going to feel a pressure of like, I need some reps. I need to become an expert again. I haven't been around baseball. I need to see live pitching. Yeah, there, there's a, so early on, it's going to be a lot of live uh, pitching that'll help the hitters, um, help the pitchers. And then we're going to 
graduate to the inner squads where it'll be three innings. Then they'll kind of get a pitcher to go, you know, it could be three relievers going in inning at a time, or it could be a starter going three innings. And um, we'll play top and bottom of the inning and um, get their feet under them. And then the next day we might do three innings, again, depending on the pitching, or we might do four innings. Or if we go four, then we might give the position player an off day. And certainly Brandon McDaniel, Travis Smith, they do a great job, the training staff, of monitoring, you know, the players and their health and how they're feeling. So there is that trust with the players, with our training staff, which if you don't have the trust and say how I feel, then these guys can't help you. But uh, they have that trust with the training staff um, and strength and conditioning guys. So um, I think it's going to work well. You wonder about, does a guy hit 400 over a 60-game season? That doesn't seem as likely, but how about, Bob Gibson's ERA record of one one two. Does somebody break that? You know what? It's funny is that my son this morning let me know that Fernando through sixty games one year had a point six. Mm. Um, so, and I think it was Ted Williams had hit was hitting like four sixty or four forty through sixty games. So, <laughs> I do remember ninety four. You know when it was shortened and, and all these guys were had big big numbers and could have broke some records um so yeah somebody gets off to a good start man i do think 400 might be in the in, in the mm-hmm. mix and something with a with a under a, a sub one era certainly um over the last decade there have been seven guys that have had two month stretches with eras below one one two kershaw's done it twice actually the only guy that's done it multiple times so who knows the 400 thing even bellinger last year as crazy as his start was he wasn't at 400 still when he got to the 60 game mark. So just to give you kind of a point of reference for how long that is. Yeah, that, that, no, that, that's right. I mean, that's a lot of baseball. Um, but that's what's uh, great about this game is that, you know, we can talk about it. Yeah. You know, we can be prognostic, prognosticators, prognosticators, but, you know, that's baseball and you, you don't know until you know. So it, it's going to be fun to kind of see how it plays out and what teams perform, what teams get off to a hot start, what players. Um, but I, I, I do know that in hearing from fans, Fans are getting excited about 2020 baseball, and that just warms my heart. It's really interesting when you think about the players. Uh, the, the rest quotient might be a little different for you this year. You don't have to string JT out for 162 games. You, you might be in a little bit more of a sprint with those guys that you normally would have a schedule of how to rest them. You might be playing them a little bit more often. That, that's right. That's right. And I haven't seen the schedule exactly, but I, I, I don't think there's any times that we play six or seven in a row Mm -hmm. and so we're going to have an opportunity i think the schedule is going to line up well for us and and also again that dh that we haven't been used to to get guys essentially a half day off is big for for certain guys too have you heard anything about game times because you were talking about dusk and batting practice and simulated games so um you know i i don't know i i know that typically we start at you know seven o'clock seven to five but i think for me i've always been a proponent of an earlier start and whether it's six o'clock six thirty i think it's better for families that mm-hmm. they they can watch the entire game um so i don't know but my voice uh, for the last four years that's what i've been pushing for so hopefully it, it's heard this year um I'm, I'm optimistic and this year you don't have to worry about people getting to the game, getting from work to the game, right? You're just mm-hmm. worried about getting home. And then, like you said, the kids get to watch the game. So I think if not now, then, then when? Um, before we let you go, Doc, 
I, I hate to end on this note, but want to get your thoughts on Andrew Tolls. Just awful news this week um, that folks can look up, and I'm sure most people are familiar with with what happened. But uh, your thoughts on that? It, it just it saddens me because you know a few years ago, I mean, you know, once a Dodger, always a Dodger, and you know he's just such a good young man, and um, there there's some you know the the mental health issues are, are serious for a lot of people in our country and world, and. Um, I don't know all of it. I just know that he needs a lot of love. And I know the Dodgers have done a great job of reaching out, um, trying to keep, you know, keep in touch with his family. And Ron Porterfield, uh, who's head of uh, the kind of the medical with the Dodgers, um, he and his sister, uh, Andrew's sister, have been in touch a lot, uh, especially over the years. So, you know, our thoughts and prayers go out to him. And we just hope for the best because he's a fantastic young man. Yeah. I know that we always oral enjoyed our any interactions we had mm-hmm. with Andrew. and. Boy, it was just, you called him, Doc, a beautiful human being. He is a beautiful, beautiful human being that was just so much fun to have around. It's so much fun to, when he was in the right place, when he was in the right headspace, he was special to watch. He was, he was. And, and just seeing people, you know, on social media, just reaching out and their hearts and, and thoughts and prayers for Andrew. That's what, you know, sports in general, but especially the Dodgers, you guys, uh, you know, Dodger fans, you know, you put that Dodger uniform and they're going to care they're going to care for you you know all the way you know even when it's over your career's over and that just is case in point with how they're you know reaching out and and uh caring for Andrew or I think about that grand slammy hit in uh, mm, Colorado Colorado right yeah ooh opposite the field post-game Otto Taco. the post game interview he he for, he had forgotten how many outs there were so he was like I I was just trying to hit a sack fly and then we we're like there were two outs. Beautiful human being. He's a beautiful. Oh, he's guy. a beautiful human being, guys. <laughs> Doc, have great. a great first week at the park, and uh, we we'll look forward to getting an update on how it's going a week from now. All right, fellas, take care. All right, Doc. Our guest for this week's podcast is a legend, legend in the broadcasting industry, and a Dodger legend, legendary guy too. Jaime Harin, who most of you know, the Spanish language voice of the Dodgers. He's entering his 62nd season on the job, and he is one of uh, one of our favorite people. I think anybody would say that, though. Anybody you ask that knows Jaime would say that he's one of their favorite people. But hope you enjoy this story, his story, and uh, this conversation as much as we enjoyed doing it. So several months of just sitting around, all of us, not knowing what to do with ourselves when we normally have baseball every single day. When we finally got that word, Jaime, that things had gone official, that there was going to be a 2020 season and we could get back to work, what were your emotions? It was like uh, getting a fresh shower. It (laughs) was unbelievable, really, because I have been very, very anxious to go and do what I have been doing for about 61 years, you know. After 61 years, I was so much afraid that this virus would start my streak. And I said, no way. So when I heard that we're going to have some baseball, well, I am still praying that we will have baseball because this virus could really, really interfere there. But knock on wood, so far, not let it be stated, not even coronavirus can end the Hall of Famer's streak, heading into his 62nd season doing this, Oral. You know, it's fantastic, Jaime. What a streak, and I'm glad it's going to continue. What's it, what is your prep like? What is it like for? I know you followed baseball even this time. You've been doing a lot of historic research, watching old games. 
But did all of a sudden, does your prep change now that you know there's going to be an opening day? Well, you know, I think I'm going to be embarking into a old uh, time machine because I am going to go back to the early 60s. Rene Cardenas and myself were the last ones to do recreations on a permanent basis. Remember that with the Dodgers, we didn't travel uh, in the first uh, seven years. So in those years, we were recreating the games. And I understand that we're going to be doing the same thing this year. So it's going to take me back to the early 60s. And, uh, and uh, I don't know. I don't know really. But I am expecting to, to enjoy very much because I love the game so much that I am hoping that I will really enjoy a lot. What do you love about it? I love the, the pristine of the game. It's a beautiful game. Easy to understand. You don't have to be seven foot tall in order to play or weight 300 pounds like a football player to play. It's, it's, a, it's a gorgeous game. Also, it's a, it's a thinking game. You have to think because you know what could be done if the right things are done. And you, you, you know that what happened if you don't do the things that you are supposed to do. It's a beautiful game, really. I enjoy doing that very much. You mentioned uh, the recreations that you did in, in your first years on this job, and I've reminded myself of that as I'm thinking about calling games off monitors and calling games in empty stadiums. And then I think to myself, that's nothing. I may have had to do true recreations in the way you did it. I mean, you listened to Vin and then basically translated? Yes, because in those days, you know, we didn't have television except one game a week on a Saturday. And before us, I knew that they were doing recreations in English, but they were always behind half an inning or an inning. They had the facility of a teleprompter, of a, of a teletype or a ticker. They used to have that. In our case, we didn't have any anything to see, to watch, or to hear. We have only only the voices of, of Vin and Jerry, and go from there. Uh, mm -hmm. We were on top of everything. Ball, ball, strike, strike, foul, foul, ball. Only when it was a tough play, especially with men on base and an extra base, then we have to wait until the play was over in order to come on with the, with the play. We used to have cartridges in those days. Uh, we had a cartridge for a single, for a double, for a triple, for a home run. So we would push the cartridge on to give, you know, a better, a very, very feeling of the game, but uh, we never tried to let the people think that I, that we were recreating, that we were in the ballpark. We always uh, had a, a in, before the game and after the game, a disclaimer. This is a recreation. We are not on the site. We, we had to do that. Some others that did before us, they used to give the impression that they were there. They were faking everything. In, in, in our case, it wasn't. It wasn't. Did your pacing and inflections develop while listening to Vin Scully? Did you develop? Was Vinny more your role model then, back then? Oh yes, of course. And I think I tried to grasp something of his style. And I think I am. I am like him. Uh, I don't scream much. I get excited when there's a very good play but I keep my rhythm. I keep my rhythm 
and uh, and I try to fill with more stories and anecdotes and things like that, and and really really uh, keep a pace on, on my on my broadcast. I have tried to do that. I had I had to I, I tried to get the the, the Vinskelly school of broadcasting, and without trying to imitate him because nobody can imitate him. But uh, that, I think that's what I have done. Did you ever kid Vin that you talk to more people than him? <laughs> no, never. <laughs> <laughs> no. No, neither. I, I don't know if it was true. I don't know. Oh, you know it was true because you used to tell me that on the bus. You know, when the Spanish Odyssey audience grew beyond the English audience, you said, well, you know, I talked to a lot of people. <laughs> One thing that our, our audience, the Latinos, are very sports-minded people, and they just uh, were very, very nice with us, and they follow us. And, and uh, look, at, look at, the, at the Latinos coming to the, into the ballpark. I remember vividly, you know, at the Coliseum, 1958, 59, 60, 61. Latinos were coming to the place, uh, probably 8, 9%. Now it's 42, 46% coming to the uh, stadium. Sometimes, you know, when I take my break in the fourth and fifth innings, I go around, I walk around there. And really, they mob me there. Sometimes I can't walk. Um, but I, I hear more Spanish than English in many places with one big difference. Big difference in, in the early days of, of the Dodgers in Los Angeles, the Latinos used to come to the cheapest seats, to the bleachers or, to, or upstairs. You know, in those days you can get into the. You know, in those days you, know, you could come on a Sunday to Dodger Stadium, you, your wife, and two kids get a, 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 a hamburger or a hot dog and a and a, and a coke for twenty five dollars. So lots of people used to come, but they were there. Nowadays, you can see Latinos in every level of the ballpark, more expensive seats and, and less expensive seats. And you won't say it yourself, but you are a big reason for that. And the other big reason that people talk about more is 1981 and Fernando Mania. But you two together that year, you, Jaime, weren't just the Spanish language voice of that phenomenon. You were right by his side as his interpreter. Yes. That's another thing, you know, I was the first in the history of the game, in the history of baseball, in the major leagues. I was the first translator, the first interpreter. Wow. Before Fernando, never. He was never. And Fernando, uh, you know, couldn't speak English. He was very young. So Fred Clare asked me to be with him. And it was really a blessing for me because... Up until then, I was very well known, but only in Southern California. And after Fernando, they knew in New York, in Atlanta, in, in Chicago, in St. Louis, who Jaime Herring was. So that really helped me in my in my professional career, no question about it. And yeah. we were everywhere, you know, everywhere, even to the White House. That's one of the greatest experiences that I have ever had, being at the White House with Fernando. Antonio De Marco, who was his uh, his agent, with President Reagan, uh, President Portillo from Mexico, and to be there and see with my own eyes the most powerful men in the country, President Reagan, then Vice President George Bush, Alexander Haig, Secretary of State, uh, Juan Berger, Secretary of Defense, and the Attorney General, there in line waiting for this kid who was a little bit chubby, 
long hair, Indian uh, uh, physics, you know, uh, be there to sign them a baseball. That was uh, what an experience, what an experience. And since you know, you we were walking to the White House, we know, it was so beautiful to see the, the Marine Corps band playing most beautiful arrangements of Mexican tunes, very well-known tunes like Cerrito Lindo, Mexico Lindo. So really, 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 it was great. And we had, a, as a chapter on for, uh, with us, um, uh, the actor, John, 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 uh, who was then the ambassador of the United States in Mexico. You know, you are so eloquent and you're fantastic with your storytelling. And Fernando is a broadcaster now, and he's a man, though, of very few words. Back during those interviews in 81, did you have to fill in some gaps a lot to make it a good quote? A little bit. Yes, a little bit. I have to be honest. A little bit sometimes. I will, I, I will arrange a little bit thing. And But one, one advice, the only advice that I gave to Fernando was, Fernando, you don't have to answer every question. If you don't like a question for any reason, just say very politely, I'm sorry, next question, please. And he followed that. But he was always ready to, to answer. He was ready to answer. Uh, and he never, never, never avoided any, any, any question, really. He was unbelievable good on that. Did he ever teach you his uh, screwball grip? He ever try to throw his screwball, Jaime? <laughs> you know, I have been very fortunate to be with him when he arrived to the United States. And then when he became a broadcaster, I was there. To, to be with him, not, not, don't say to help him, but to be with him. And uh, uh, I like Fernando very, very much because he did for baseball uh, like very few, very few ball players have done for the game. Fernando was an amazing guy when he started pitching. And, uh, and if I had followed my advice, he will be pitching a few more years because I told him, I beg him, please go have a surgery in your, in your uh, arm or whatever, in your shoulder. Go. But he didn't want it to hear about the surgery. He said, no, 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 don't, please don't talk to that. And, uh, and we, I think I, told, I gave the, him the, the example of, of uh, oral. And, and Tommy John, I said, look, them, they, they went through surgery and they, they did better. After that, so but he didn't want it to do it. But I was there with him when he came to the major leagues and when he came as a broadcaster. You were there for those moments. You were there for every incredible moment that's happened throughout Los Angeles Dodger history. You mentioned being at the White House. This is all for a kid who was born in Ecuador and was kind of a a radio prodigy there. You were on the air way earlier than most people ever get a chance to. Yes, I think it was very special because I was 15 years old, 1951, when I got my first job in a huge, huge radio station, huge radio station, uh, a cultural station that they were in Ecuador just because of the altitude, the geographic situation to cover all over the world. Because, you know, here we talk about a radio station, a police channel with, with 50,000 watts. We have a, a, a transmitter of 750,000 watts. So I, I was very, very fortunate to start in that, in that station as a newsman. Before coming here to the United States, I, I wasn't a, a sportscaster. Uh, uh, never, I never did any sports. I did 
uh, news and special events. And my first three years here in the United States, I did the same thing. Uh, I was a newsman, and I, then I started doing boxing, then baseball when the Dutch moved to the West Coast in uh, 1958, and I, did, I started in 1959. You, you, know, you could have had a, a remarkable career in Ecuador. You could have stayed there and been a legend, right, having started at 15. But as a 20-year-old, you decide to come to the United States. And this is the mid-50s, so it's not like you're hopping on Google and booking yourself a flight. How did you get from Ecuador to the United States? You know, in 1957, 58, uh, no, before that, 1953 and 54, I was the official announcer for the Senate of the Congress in Ecuador. And when they knew that I was coming to the United States, that I, that I wanted to come to the United States, the Senate decided to give me a, a free ticket from Ecuador to, to the United States using the facilities of our big ships that used to come um, bringing bananas to this country. So I came in a ba- banana boat. Wow. <laughs> I came Amazing. in a banana boat from, from, from Ecuador to Tampa, Florida, and from Tampa to Los Angeles in a Greyhound bus. Why Los Angeles? Because I was thinking of coming to, to New York because I also wanted to become a, a commercial pilot. So I was, uh, I was uh, filling an application to get into the Totterbury School of Aeronautics in New Jersey. So I was going to go to New York. But then I said, no, I should concentrate in radio. That's what I love. So I started inquiring around. Then I thought about Chicago. But I had a wrong impression that Chicago was an ugly city. <laughs> Now it's the most beautiful city among the big cities in the country, in my opinion. And then I start reading about how many Latinos are in, in Southern California, especially Mexicans. So I said, that's the place where I should go. And that's why I came to Los Angeles. Was there a moment in this early radio career that you said, this is what I want to do the rest of my life? Yes. When I started with the Dodgers, I thought that uh, that the Dodgers will be there like uh, five, six, seven years, then move to television. Uh, TV in Spanish was coming up, which is recently. Channel 34 was the first channel in the country in Spanish that came on in 1963. So I thought that television will, will be my next uh, step. Eventually, I worked for, for Telemundo for eight years as a as uh, the sports uh, director of the of Channel 52 in Los Angeles. But to be honest with you, I never enjoyed doing TV. I have always been a radio man. I have been on, in front of a microphone for 68 years without interruption. And television, you know, uh, I used to have a, a segment of three minutes on, on the big news at six o'clock for sports, and they would cut down. The, no, only two minutes, please. Something come up, you have to cut down you to one minute. Said, what can I say in one minute? So television is, is not for me. I love doing radio. You just don't like wearing the makeup. That's it, isn't it? You don't want to put the makeup on like Oral and me. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you come to Los Angeles. It's not like you come to L.A. and you immediately become the Spanish language voice of the Dodgers. How in the world does that happen? I never, you know, I am a very unique case, no question about it, because uh, I never saw a baseball game in my life before coming to this country, before I was 18 years old. Uh, Never saw baseball, never saw a bat, never saw baseball. And when I came to this country, uh, I was, of course, very sports-minded. I used to play soccer at school, then some field and track 
things, but uh, uh, baseball, nothing. I liked boxing very much. Then I started doing boxing from the Olympic Auditorium. Then I saw the, the, the World Series game, 1955, between the Yankees and the, the Brooklyn Dodgers, and I saw so many people around TV sets and around radio receivers in Los Angeles uh, watching this game and listening to this game in New York. I said, what's that? They said, it's the World Series. And, uh, and I said, my goodness, that must be a great game because so many people, everybody was in Los Angeles listening to, to, to the game. Uh, restaurants, uh, businesses, uh, uh, hotels, on the streets, everywhere. So I said, that must be a great game. So I started inquiring, and they said, there's a baseball. There are two teams in Los Angeles, AAA teams, the Hollywood Stars and the Los Angeles Angels. They used to play at the Gilmore Field and at the Wrigley Field. In, Los in, South, in South Central Los Angeles, the, it was at the 46th Street and, uh, and Avalon. So I started going there on the weekends just to grasp something about the sport. So little by little, I started understanding the game, understanding the game. Then that was 1956, 67, 50, 58. But I just come to the West Coast. And oh, that was great. And I just come to the West Coast. Then well, one day, the owner of the station and the GM, uh, Mr. William Beaton, called all the employees of the station to his office to give us a great news. So we went there, and he said, I just signed a contract to do the games in Spanish. And I need two announcers. And look at me and said, Jaime, and I knew to be one of the two. I said, Mr. Beaton, thank you. Thank you very much. But I don't think I am ready to do a, a game. I, I, I know some baseball, but in order to be in front of my microphone, when the game is not, there's no way. No way. He liked me very much. said, Jaime, you do great in boxing. You, you, have, the, the, you have the talent to do sports. Yes, but I haven't done this. So he said, I'm going to give you one year, get ready. I want you there. So on that 58, I was uh, listening to every game, going to the Coliseum to every game, reading every book about baseball, uh, reading magazines and everything. Because in those days, you know, we didn't have the, what we have now, the, 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 what we're using right now. Uh, so... It was very tough. You have to read and read and read in this paper. You have to read five, six, seven papers every day in order to, to prepare myself. So 1959, I said, okay, I'm going to start. And that's how I started. I think in that probably only a matter of just a few years to do baseball. But then I fell in love with the sport. And I said, no, I have to keep doing it. I love it. And three reasons why I have lasted so long. I think the first one is my love for baseball. I love the game. I can do two games a day, seven days a week, no problem. Second was the support that I had for my wife, Blanca. She was a, a champion. She didn't care much about the game, to be honest with you. But uh, she never complained about me, my traveling and everything. And third, the fact that the Dodgers is and was the first organization that really, really paid attention to the community uh, fans uh, to the community, to the Latino fans. They were really the first ones to to open the eyes to everybody to 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 the Spanish market, to the Latino market. So those three things, three reasons why I have lasted so long doing baseball. You you brought up number two, Blanca, who we lost uh, last spring. You know, I often tell people that my wife Libby is as big a reason for my career as anything. Because of what we do, Jaime, because it's every single day and we're gone so often, 
that person, having the person that under, not just understands what we do, but embraces it in the same level we do, it's everything. It's, it's really unbelievable. I don't know how she did it, you know, with three boys. Uh, three boys growing up. I miss so many special functions that they had at school because I was on the road and everything and, and didn't want it to miss. Uh, uh, you know, years ago, years ago, I'm talking about the 60s and the 70s, I never heard them or Jerry Daggett talk about taking some days off. We never, never, never took a day off. Never. It was out of our vocabulary. Now, you know, say, no, I'm going to skip this trip and skip this and okay, okay. In those days, in the old days, nobody talked about skipping games. And in that regard, you know, my wife was, oh my goodness, she was super, she was super. While, while I was traveling with the Dodgers in a beautiful plane, she was driving the station and taking the kids to a park, to a carousel, to whatever. She, she really was very special and and I miss her so much, really. And then once you got to the ballpark, who are some of the special gentlemen that helped you learn the intricacies of baseball? The, was it a manager? Was it a general manager? Was it a player that started to teach you? Because baseball is a very complicated game once you get below the surface. I don't know the reasons, but the first person that really took me under his wings was Willie Davis. I don't know why. But when we were on the road, he would take me at least twice a week to a lunch to be with him. Oh, he was really unbelievable, and he would teach me many, many things. He was really very special. Later on, you know, when, I, when they asked me, who are your, your idols? And I said, I don't have idols because we have in Spanish a, a, a saying that, uh, that uh, idolos son de barro. Um, I don't have idols, but I have my, 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 my special people around me, uh, my favorites. Uh, and it was Willie Davis because of that. Then later on, Dan Drysdale. Drysdale was really, really great with me. And later on, when he became a broadcaster, we get even closer. In Montreal, every single day, he will take me to to all Montreal to follow, to have lunch with him. And he introduced me to everybody. He was extremely popular in Montreal because he played there. Then Sandy Koffel was very special also, but he was really, you know, a little bit distant, but uh, great. And later on, a fellow by the name of Hershiser became. <laughs> when I lost my son, Jeannie, Oral came to Rene Cardenas and told Rene, we have to do something to perpetuate the the, the image of, of Jimmy. And said, let's let's form a, a foundation with his name. That that really is tough. It's, it's it's really tough to talk about it, but Oral was very, very special with me there and he is probably my closest friend in baseball right now. And uh, so those are really people that uh, that have played a big, big part of me. Tam Lasorda was also very, very, very nice with me. He would take me around with him. Sometimes, you know, in New York, after a very tough loss, 
one o'clock in the morning, he will knock on my door and say, hi, hey, let's go take a walk. Oh, it's one o'clock in the morning, two o'clock in the morning. Come on, and walk with him. Oh, yeah, so he also, he was he was very special. I know uh, there are a lot of people that feel the same way about you, Jaime, that, that you just talked about feeling about oral. I, speaking for myself, you two guys are right at the top of the list, people that I feel so fortunate to call friends and mentors and people that in this baseball community, we get to be around every day. I know that was hard for you to, to say about Oral, but I know Oral would say the same exact thing about you, wouldn't you? Yeah, it's, uh, you know, Jaime, for our listeners, um, you know, you are one of my role models. You come into the Dodger organization and you, you see the people above you, and I'm not just talking up in the broadcast booth where you were and Vinny and everybody, but you see the Tommy Lasordas and, and the Fred Clares and all the different people, and, and I am friends and close with all of the people that were my role models. And it's just fantastic to have a gentleman like you uh, by my side as many days as we do and as many meals as we have. So the listeners need to know that as classy as you sound on the air and when they meet you, that that is the real Jaime Harin. And that is a perfect gentleman and somebody that you would all be honored to have a friend. And let me add, before you get to defend yourself, Jaime, <laughs> I, to have a Hall of Famer like you put your arm around me when I came and, and took this job in 2016, a wide-eyed kid, uh, not really knowing what I was doing, knowing I was stepping into some tough shoes, to have your support and friendship right from day one, and you made it so clear that I could go to you for anything. That meant more than and means more than I can properly express. Beautiful, 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 Joe. So we're going to look forward to your 70th year someday, Jaime. You, you got, got it in more. you, don't you? Come on, 70 years. Let's go for 70. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I don't know. I don't know if I, we lasted that long. But I enjoyed <laughs> whatever I do. This is my last, last year, my contract, and I don't know what the Dash is having. You have a lifetime contract. There's don't worry no about those negotiations. <laughs> They they keeping me they keep telling me that you have a lifetime contract and, well, and that's that's uh, true because my last year too Jaime so maybe we can retire together. Well, that's that's clarify. It's the last year of your current contract. That's what I said. Yeah. Okay. I'm sure you're really tough in the negotiating room, Jaime. You go in there throwing elbows and telling them making demands, and I bet you're really difficult to do. You know, I have <laughs> never had an agent or a lawyer. Wow. Talking on my behalf, never, never. The Dodgers have been very, very, uh, very nice with me. No, no question about it. And especially in the last, uh, I will say, in the last fifteen years, really, they have given me practically what I wanted regarding uh, regarding my contract. Uh, never had any problem. I have never been close of leaving the Dodgers. Never, never, never crossed my mind to leave the Dodgers and go, go some, somewhere else. Never, never, never. And, um, and uh, I will stay with them until, uh, until I die because uh, I enjoy what I do. They respect me. I respect everybody. I don't recall having any, any problem with anybody in the organization. Anybody. So I demand respect. I remain respect to my community, to my listeners. I would never take a second row on anything. And the Dodgers have been great. You know, if Vince Kelly goes there, I go. Um, 
there was one incident regarding regarding the, the first class plane. One time they they take me out of the first class uh, because the new manager said he didn't want it to anybody else except his coaches in the first class. It was Dave Johnson when he came to the Dodgers. So I was in first class, and one day the, the traveling secretary Billy Lowry comes and says, Jaime, I am so sorry, but you have to it was a flight coming back to Los Angeles. He said, you have to go into the second section, but I'm going to give you the first seat there. So I went there, said, fine, okay, here comes Eric Carus. The first one comes and looks at me and said, what are you doing here? You should be up in front. If the red head is there, you have to be there. Okay, no, no, they put me here. Then comes uh, Valdez, Ismael Valdez. What are you doing here, my Hall of Famer? He called me Hall of Famer. My Hall of Famer, you should be in there. I said, no, no, no. So as soon as we were arriving into Los Angeles, somebody from the from the front office came to me and said, is it true that you you didn't fly first class? I said, no, it's, it is true. I said, that's not right. It's not right. If the press find, finds out that they are not there, they, 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 they wouldn't be right. So they went to... to, to uh, Dave Johnson said, hey, we have to have him in the first class. Finally, he, he said, okay. No, then, what about, what about uh, the other announcers? What about Pepe? What about uh, Ross Porter? What about them? What can we do? tell them? Then they came out with a thing. Only Hall of Fame is flying in the first class. Hall of Fame broadcaster, Hall of Fame person. Jaime, we love you, man. Thank you. You are so nice, so beautiful. Thank you, Jaime, for spending time with us. This is wonderful. You, you are really great assets to the organization. No question about it. And enjoy your company. Uh, it's it's really beautiful. It's a it's a very very beautiful family. Our lunch is on the road. We'll have to be in 2021. We're not traveling. <sighs> Or we can just do these Zoom calls and see each other. <laughs> we have to go back to my old days to recreate the games. <laughs> you can recreate some lunches. And we'll come down to your booth yeah. and get some tips on how to recreate yeah. them. Love it. Thank you, Jaime. Thank you. Thank you to you. I enjoy it very much. And, and, and my salute to everybody that's listening to this podcast. I well, hope you guys enjoyed that visit with Jaime Harin. We're going to get into our top four this week, our top four restaurants in Los Angeles. Oral, I'm going to let you start. I cheated, Joe, because to go over all of Los Angeles, it was going to be really tough for me. So yeah. I, I stayed right in Pasadena Ooh, where okay. we rent. And I actually stayed on one street because wow. we frequent Lake Avenue an awful lot. So, so it's your top four restaurants on Lake Avenue. Uh, right by Lake Avenue. One is slightly off the edge on California, but right at the corner of Cal and Lake. And that is Pie and Burger is my number four. Okay. You can go there for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And I think I might be the only person that has had all three meals in one day at Pie and Burger. Wow. I so met Fred Claire there for breakfast in the morning. My boys wanted to go there for lunch, and my wife wanted to go there for dinner. So I had all three meals at wow. Pie and Burger. And you were still working it off, aren't you? Well, it was in my active playing day, so I was fine. <laughs> I'm going to cheat, too. I'm going to give five. Okay. Okay, instead of four. My number five, so I guess I'll give you five and four right now. My number five is Key Spaka, which is in the Mozaplex. It is absolutely amazing. You want to talk about just 
best meals I've ever had because a lot goes into what makes a restaurant great. You know, the atmosphere and the space mm-hmm. and the food, obviously, but just talking specifically the food start to finish, Kispaka, absolutely incredible. So that's my number five. My number four is David Chang's Major Domo. Oh, also course. incredible. And, and it's going to, what for me sets that one apart is that it's just different than anything I've ever had. Normally, I don't like venturing off too crazy. I don't like to get mm-hmm. too freaky with the food. Uh, but this is very meat heavy, which I like. Right. It's right and, up your alley. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's unlike any other uh, dining experience I've had just when it comes to the food. And the, the space is buzzy and everything's great about it. If a place has meat, potatoes, and broccoli, you're in usually. Yeah, but it's not like that. It's, <laughs> I know, it's, it's, not it's at all. very different. Yeah. yeah. Well, good for you. Number three for me is on Lake Avenue in Pasadena. It's Nick's. And uh, we love the uh, deep fried, sorry for the health conscious uh, asparagus, dipping them in ranch dressing. I love the fried chicken there. My wife loves the kale salad. And uh, there's some really good deviled eggs there, too. So that's a good place to beef up and uh, put on some pounds. What about the butter cake at the end there? Oh, well, I stay away from that because I've had all the bad stuff. Yeah, all <laughs> the right. fried chicken and the You've fried asparagus. <laughs> yeah. Uh, my number three, downtown LA, Rosso Blue. Oh, the yeah. chef and owner there, Steve Sampson, is a diehard Dodger fan, by the mm-hmm. way. Yeah, I've dined there with you. Mm-hmm. That's a big number two for me, again, on Lake Avenue, uh, Smitty's. Smitty's, and you'll know the next one, number one, we get there. But Smitty's, uh, we have become great friends with the staff there at Smitty's, and our number one waiter of all time is Moses. And Moses is just a fantastic gentleman. It's more like going to a family restaurant, really feeling like you're in a kitchen and right there with your friends. And uh, it's a great, great hangout in Pasadena. I can, yeah, I can vouch for that too. Everything you said about the restaurant and about Moses and the menu yeah. there is just, there's so many things. That's for me the opposite of Major Domo when it comes to Major Domo is like a little out there, you know, right. a little different when it comes to the menu. Smitty's, you can find absolutely anything for any kind of palate. And yeah, they make you feel like home. Good choice there. My number two is a similar idea where they make you feel like home. It's a newer place. It's Hippo in oh, Highland yeah. Park. And man, oh man, David Rosoff, who runs the show there, is a good friend. And they do an incredible job. Can't wait for them to get opened back up. Um, looks like it's going to be a while for everybody now with restaurant shutting down again for the next few weeks. But they have done, through, this, through the quarantine, by far the best takeout that I've had from anywhere. And not everybody can nail takeout, but they, the food is always hot. Great. It's uh, not the same as dining in, but it's still really good. My number one is on Lake Avenue in Pasadena. We it's know. Arbor. Uh, Ian is the owner and chef runs there. Uh, the unbelievable baked goods. And Matthew is the head chef. He's uh, fantastic. And their wild mushroom risotto, their soups, their, the duck under glass is amazing. It's a high-end date night restaurant, but fantastic cocktails when you want to partake. Uh, and great, great atmosphere. Do. You do want to partake. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, I know you, you mentioned the duck and how it comes out smoking and everything. Yeah. And they lift the, the thing for me that stands out about that place is the beef fat candle. Exactly. That it's was on a, my notes. Oh my gosh. So basically it's a candle made out of it's beef in the fat. Some great spicy chili. Yes. Just and laying you, in a pile of points. Beef. Put it on oh. the toast points. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Comes with the garlic bread type. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
but the the candle burns out and as it burns out it melts the the fat into the beef because the beef needs fat right beef needs just don't eat the metal bottom of the candle just don't leave that, that on the plate uh-huh uh my number one scopa italian roots in marina del rey it is an uh, italian mm-hmm. place and it, there's Pasta's so off. many things on the menu that are absolutely amazing. The pasta yeah. just jumps off the plate. Oh, yeah. And thankfully, it stays down there until you put it on a <laughs> fork and eat it. But yeah, uh, we got to take you there. You know, you've never yeah. been there. That's, not a t- that's a tough place to get into, isn't it? I got gotcha. you. Okay. <laughs> you you gotcha. have been a Dodger announcer now long enough that you have connections. It's a big place. It's uh, not as hard to get into because it's large and there's a lot of seating. Gotcha. So. I got awesome. you because anybody could have you. Anybody could have you. Take you That's not true. It, it, it can be a difficult reservation, but we'll make sure when, when things get back to normal, we get to uh, go there. Sure. Mailbag this week. Which former athlete, dead or alive, would you most want to watch? And this comes from Tony Wolf. He emailed to offairwithjoeandoral at gmail.com. So this was an interesting search uh, through my brain and through the internet because I thought about how often would I get to see the athlete? And, and when I buy the ticket or whatever it is, the most expensive thing to get in to see this athlete, you know, is he going to have the ball a lot? Is he going to be participating a lot so that I get value out of how much? And so I picked two, but I'm gonna, I'll just go with one right now. I, I picked Tiger Woods. And uh, for me to watch Tiger hit a golf ball in person, which I have done, uh, happened to be at a, a a member at a, at a club that he was a member. And so uh, I've been around him and it's just awe-inspiring. Him and his prime is, was absolutely ridiculous. And I would pay a lot of money to walk with him for 18 holes and watch him hit a golf ball. You know, you still can do that. I know, but it's not his prime right now, but yeah. Okay. So but, f- when, when you think of former athlete, you're thinking the old Tiger Woods, what you're saying. Yeah. Going back mm-hmm. and, all right. I have to say former. Is that, was that in the well, That was the question, first? but yeah. Um, oh, okay. You were also well, my other also, one. Then fits the whole thing. What's your other one? Michael Jordan. Okay, Michael for sure. Yeah, just because you knew he'd be going to be around the ball, great defender, great everything. I'm surprised you didn't go farther back. Uh, I I did some research to go farther back, and I just I thought about how uh, the athletes have gotten better with every generation through strength and speed, and you know, and I always know that the best generation of athletes is the current generation because for me. Uh, when world records continue to get broken in the Olympics and different track and field events, all the track and field events go into all the sports. So if those are getting broken, the running, the throwing of the javelin, the lifting of weights, all that, then I know the best athletes are on the field today. For me, I'm going to go with this kind of an easy one for Dodger fans, but Sandy Koufax. There's Mm -hmm. enough there in the way of video where you know kind of what it looks like through the grainy pictures, and you can picture his delivery, and you can kind of even see the curveball dropping based on some of the better video that was taken. So there's enough there to kind of whet the appetite and Mm pique the interest and want to see more. And there's obviously so much written, and you, you learn about him when you learn about the Dodgers. I would love to see it in action, to see that curveball break and see the fastball that hitters talked about rising on them and eating them up. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, that, that would You'd be... like to know Sandy Koufax's spin rate. Yeah. <laughs> and, and spin I, efficiency. I, sounds like it would have been incredible, especially yeah, the on the fastball. arm of God. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. 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 You know, I have big hands and Sandy and becoming friends with him and being coached by him, he has almost 
an extra half inch on me as far as when he shakes your hand and then we hold up our hands like you do as little kids to see who's growing faster. <laughs> and it's unbelievable how big his hands were. Or still are. <laughs> I, I've heard you say, and Clayton Kershaw said the same thing, that when Sandy's trying to teach a pitch, he'll grab a ball and he'll show well, you, just grip it like this. And you're like, well, Sandy, I can't. You, <laughs> normal a- humans can't grip it like that. Yeah, when he puts his, when he taught me his curveball grip, which I used throughout my whole career, um, his curveball grip is a fantastic grip, but I had to really train my hand to stretch that far between my two knuckles of my middle finger and my ring finger and to stretch it down to the seam that he wanted me on to hold one seam and then tuck the knuckle under the other seam. And then you see his middle finger just almost wrap completely around the ball. So the lever system of what he was using to spin that baseball, unbelievable amount of leverage. Hmm. What are you most looking forward to in the week ahead? Hmm. I think on Friday, we're going to be getting video of the Dodgers working out at Dodger Stadium. Sportsnet LA is going to have cameras there, high and safely away, and they'll be able to show us batting practice and side works. So I texted our producer at SNLA that we do with the shows, and Stu Mitchell said, yep, as of Friday, we're going to have video. Awesome. So is that going to be, maybe maybe we don't know yet, but is it going to be like live feed, or it'll be B-roll that'll be rolled in I think it'll be B-roll. Okay. I know Alana has permission and access out there, so I don't know if she's going to be doing the six ten foot interviews, like you know, with a telescoping mic. But I know we're going to have video, and it's going to be fun to see. And I think we have shows uh, Monday through Friday on SNLA, like half hour or hour shows. So it's going to be fun to see interviews with players, to watch them actually on the field, taking ground balls, taking BP. So I'm looking forward to that. I would watch just a stationary camera live feed of, exactly. of I would the workout, too. you know, sitting up high and whatever. Just show me baseball. I hope they allow a camera just to walk around with all the new additions and we can almost mm, do a yeah. show on the, all the new additions at the stadium. Yeah, that, that got me excited hearing Dave Roberts talk about how cool it was. Yeah. Um, well, I, I'm going to go with that same thing. I'm, I'm most excited <laughs> okay, for seeing real it. baseball happen. <laughs> Sounds good to me, my friend. We'll talk to you next week. All right. Oh, you're forgetting it. I'm not forgetting it. I thought you'd go first. Love you. Love you too.